0: When we're looking at 1 John last week, uh, we saw that we can say that we know God, that we have a relationship with God, if we are obeying his commands, and we are walking as Jesus walked. But in order to walk with him, I really have to live my life like him. And I like what Max Lucado writes in his book, Just Like Jesus. Uh, he, He writes this. He says, what if, what if for one day Jesus were to become you? What if for 24 hours, Jesus wakes up in your bed, walks in your shoes, lives in your house, assumes your schedule, your boss becomes his boss, your mother becomes his mother, your pains become his pains, with one exception, nothing about your life changes. Your health doesn't change, your circumstances don't change, your schedule isn't altered, your problems aren't solved, only one change occurs. What if for one day... And one night, Jesus lives your life with his heart. Your heart gets the day off, and your life is led by the heart of Christ. His priorities govern your actions. His passions drive your decisions. His love directs your behavior. What would they see? Would others see something new? Your coworkers, would they sense a difference? What about the less fortunate? Would they see something new? Your coworkers, would they see anything? And your friends, would they detect more joy? How about your enemies? Would they receive more mercy from Christ's heart than from yours? And you, how would you feel? What alterations would this transplant have on your stress level, your mood swings, your temper? Would you sleep better? Would you see sunsets differently? Death differently? Taxes differently? Any chance you'd need fewer aspirin or sedatives? How about your reaction to traffic delays? Would you still dread what you're dreading? Better yet, would you still do what you're doing? Pause and think about your schedule, your obligations, engagements, outings, appointments. With Jesus taking over your heart, would anything change? Keep working on this for a moment. Adjust the lens of your imagination until you have a clear picture of Jesus leading your life. Then snap the shutter and frame the image. What you see is what God wants. He wants you to think and to act like Jesus. Now, with that in mind, 1 John 2.6 really comes alive when we start to think about Jesus living his life in us. Because the Christian life, it's an exchanged life. Our old dead spirit is taken over by a spirit that is now alive, the spirit of Christ in us, This is what we read from John in 1 John 2.6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is our Christian life. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory, him living in us and through us. Now, today, we're coming to verses 7 through 11, and verses 7 through 11, I think, are a commentary on just one phrase that we find in 1 John 2, 5, where we read, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. So John is saying that the the goal of the Christian is to allow the love of God to permeate our entire lives, to, to love, to love regardless, to love regardless of our feelings, to love regardless of what has been done to us, to even love regardless of what can be done for us. That short little two-word phrase, love regardless, has special meaning to me. Uh, I remember about 10 or ten so, or so years ago, I was sitting down with my friend James, and, and we were dreaming uh, about the church that we would plant in Escondido, California. And this church sent us out to Escondido, and we were just dreaming, what, what is it that we're looking for? What would mark the branches community church? And we came to this idea of what would happen if we just loved like Christ loved, that we loved people regardless, that we would go to this town, and we would love on people whether or not they ever came to our church. They could go to a different church. We're going to love them. We're going to love people. Even when we share the good news of Jesus Christ and people reject us, okay, we're still going to love you. What would it be like if we didn't have ulterior motives that people sensed in us a genuineness, genuineness just to simply love as Christ loves? So love regardless kind of became our, our motto, our mantra, the thing that we just kind of repeat like this is how we're going to move through this life. Now, the challenging thing, when you say you're going to love regardless, the the world tends to look at love differently than God exemplifies love. The world says, well, if you disagree with anything that I'm doing, you don't love me, right? If If you don't agree with my behavior or my actions, that means you hate me. But that's not the case. That's not what love is, just simply saying, you can do whatever you want to do. And that's not how Jesus loved. Yet there was something about Jesus as he walked this earth that tax collectors and sinners would gather around him. In my God time right now, I'm in Luke 15, and I was reading this week about how all of these tax collectors and sinners, they were gathering around Jesus. And as as this was happening, the Pharisees couldn't believe that that was going on. But Jesus, even though he had this draw, he's not saying, live however you want to live. No, he's saying go and sin no more. In fact, I love you so much that I'm going to die on a cross for your sins so that you don't have to stay in that sin, so that you can have freedom and life and joy. Yet in his approach, he wasn't judgmental. He, he, he wasn't trying to separate himself from others. So this idea of we're going to love and we're going to love people regardless, just simply because God has called us to love, I believe is a genuineness that we all long for. Because love is a desperate need in the human heart. Everybody needs it. And yet, love is all too often lacking in the church and in our homes and in this world. But what John is telling us is we are commanded to love. We're commanded to love. And so, in these verses that we're going to read today, seven through 11, John is going to start in and he's going to set it up, reminding us how we have been called to love and to love regardless. This is what we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved. And John will use that term often. He's known as the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And John has been refined over the years by the Spirit of God because if you remember, uh, John is one of the sons of thunder and there was a point at which uh, a town didn't do what John thought that town should do. So he turns to Jesus and says, shall we call down fire and wipe everybody out? That John refined by the Spirit of God, now continues to tell people that they are loved children of God. Beloved, he says, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light, and the true light is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. The true light is already shining. So it, it seems a little bit here as we look at this that is a little confusing. Like, what is, what is John saying? He's almost contradicting himself. I, I'm, I'm giving you an old commandment and it's also on the other hand, it's a new commandment. So it sounds like a riddle. What is old? Yet new. And I I saw a riddle this week, and I just thought maybe I'd throw this in here. Uh, I don't know if you like riddles or not. Um, So the riddle goes like this Uh, What has wheels and flies, but is not an aircraft? What has wheels and flies and is not an aircraft? A garbage truck. All right, so I I have others, but I'm not. It's just not. So what's old? yet new. John, what are you getting at? What are you saying? Well, we have some clues here in this old command he says, and you find this at the very beginning of the Bible, and it runs like a thread all the way through scripture. There's this moment where Jesus is in front of a Pharisee, and the Pharisee wants to know, hey, what's the, what's the greatest command? Like, boil it all down for me, Jesus. If you could name just one commandment, what's the best one? And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, this is what Jesus says to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What Jesus is quoting here is from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It is the Shema. The Shema is a prayer in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 that Jewish people still say out loud even today. It's a very important prayer to them, it it goes like this, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Shema, they would put their hand over their their head, and they would say, Shema ya Israel Adonai, Eloheinu Adonai echad. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And so when Jesus is asked, what's the one What's the one commandment above all others? He said, you shall love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, the Shema. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 38. He says, this is the great and first commandment. Verse 39, he quotes from Leviticus 19, 18. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Jesus is confronted, like what is the most important thing that we can do with our lives, Jesus, God of the universe, he reaches back to Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, love the Lord your God. And then he reaches back to Leviticus 19, 18 in the Old Testament, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. The first command was broken by Adam and Eve in the garden. When they decided that they would rebel against God, they would go their own way, and they would sin against God. The second commandment, was broken by their son Cain, when Cain did not love his brother and murdered him. all all of the laws could be summed up in these two. The, the, when these two "love God and "love your neighbor" are disregarded, everything falls apart. But if we could just simply hold on to these two laws, you would do away. With hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other laws. We would be able to do away even in our culture with law after law after law if we would love God and love our neighbor. If you love God, you're gonna obey his moral law, you're gonna obey his commands. If you love your neighbor, you don't need a law not to steal. If you're going to love your neighbor, you don't need to worry about adultery because you're not going to do that to your neighbor. If you love your spouse, you're not going to commit adultery. You don't need a law against murder if you truly love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love your neighbor. That's the old commandment. But then John says, there's something new about this commandment. What does he mean when he says, at the same time, I'm writing you a new commandment? He repeats once again, the words of Jesus. Jesus said this, a new commandment. When Jesus is going to the last supper, right, the final supper together, I would encourage you maybe this week, read read John 12 and 13, 11, 12, and 13, and it's just, it's a beautiful scene as As Jesus is gathering his disciples together, in fact, in John 13, uh, verse 1 and 2, verse 1 says, having loved his disciples to the end. Really, it's having loved them to perfection. Jesus then wraps a towel around his waist, and he, he bends down, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. They have this meal together, and he realizes and there's this moment where he's talking about one who is going to betray him and the one who betrays him, Jesus is the first one to dip the bread and hand it to this person of honor who was Judas, knowing full well what Judas was going to do to Jesus. After that meal, he gathers his disciples together. He says, come here, I've got something that I wanna share with you. John chapter 13, verse 34, he says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And at this point, I, I think that maybe we could say, maybe there would be a, a pretty wise, or somebody would think that they were wise, one of the disciples would stop Jesus and say, whoa, 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 wait, Jesus. That's not a new commandment. We've had that for a long time. I studied that one as a boy. Leviticus nineteen eighteen: you shall love your neighbor and yourself. Jesus, I hate to break it to you, know you're the son of God, but that's not a new commandment. And Jesus would say, I'm not done yet a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Watch this. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. L- love your neighbor, that's old. As I have loved you, oh, that's new. This is different. This is unique. Christ is our example of what it means to truly love in this self-sacrificing, put others in front of you kind of love. This this is antithetical to our world. This is, this is taking the whole kind of pyramid scheme of, of me being at the at the top and flipping it upside down and saying, I'm on the bottom, and I'm going to think of. Others. This is new. He said in John 15, he he would reiterate it. He said this in John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love? Oh man, he loved completely. He loved us to death. Jesus loved us so much that he's up in heaven, the one who created everything, had everything at his disposal, everything was perfect, everything is glorious in heaven, and yet he sees rebels, traitors, people who are spitting in the face of God and out of a heart of love. He leaves heaven and all the riches of heaven, and he comes to earth, not born in a palace, not born in a mansion, born in poverty, and this Jesus, having loved us, would continue to move in the direction of the cross. Jesus did not consider his life worth something hanging on for, but he had this attitude of, like, I'm going to put others before my personal pain. I'm going to move in their direction so that they might have life, so that they might have forgiveness. How much did Jesus love? He loved so much that on that first Palm Sunday, that triumphal entry. He's sitting on top of the Mount of Olives, looking over the Kidron Valley and into Jerusalem. And it says, as he's coming down, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying, this is our, this is our king. He's going to rise to power. And Jesus knows I'm not rising to power right now. I'm submitting myself to die in the place of every person who has ever sinned. As he's going down that mountain, it says he begins to weep and he wishes that the people, People would have known what would have brought them peace. They didn't accept it, so he had to go to the cross. How much did Jesus love? He loved regardless. Peter, he loved Peter regardless, knowing Peter would deny him three times. He loved his enemies. They hung him on a cross, and they're killing him on the cross, and he looks out, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus hung on that cross for thieves and liars and rapists and adulterers and murderers and people like me and you. Why? Because he loved us regardless, not because of anything good in us or any merit, because there is none. And yet this God, in his love, pours out his life. And that God, Jesus Christ says, love as I have loved you. Those are heavy words. So we got to ask ourselves, if this is a commandment from Jesus, how are we doing? And as I look at my own life, I can just say, well, I'm, I'm falling short. I don't think that I make that mark, but that's not an excuse for me to back away from love. So how are you doing in the department of love? Do you love unselfishly? as Jesus did, as broadly, as purely as Jesus? How are you doing with loving your family? Do do you love other Christians, other brothers and sisters in Christ in this room or some other church? How are you doing? How about that obnoxious coworker? How are you doing? Do, Do you love people? who have a different skin color than you? Do you love people who vote differently than you? When we compare ourselves to Christ and the call of Christ, there is no way that I could do this on my own, no way that you could do this on your own. It is only through the power of God in us. And that this is the point that Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 22 with that Pharisee. That Pharisee said, Just give me one command, and Jesus gave him two. Why does he give him two? Because it is so easy, friend, to say, Oh yeah, I love God. I love God. It's much more challenging to begin to live it out by loving our neighbor as ourself. That's the challenge. To love others regardless. Right? Don't just tell me you're a Christian. Show me. So John is getting that. How am I going to know? How do I have assurance? How do I have certainty of my faith that I'm going to heaven when I die? How do I know I'm a Christian? He says in verses 3 through 6, you will know that you're a Christian when you obey his commands. And you have a desire to obey his commands. Love God. And then he begins to turn. And he says, you'll know that you're a believer, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself means I'm going to start thinking of others, not just of myself, not just about me, not just what I can get. And this is hard because we live in a society that is very much self-centered. It is very dismissive of others. And if you start watching for it, you'll see it all over the place. I I mean, constantly. You'll, You'll see it when you get on the road and you start driving to work or you're going someplace and you're on the interstate and nobody lets you merge in right? We do that here in Indiana. You, This is my spot. You can go ahead and wait. Sorry for your luck. You're not going to yield. We're not going to do that. You can see it as soon as you pull into the, the parking lot at the shopping center and you see the carts everywhere. And people haven't put them back in the stall because they think, oh, I walked three miles in Costco. I can't go 20 more feet and put my cart away. Good luck for your car. I'm just thinking of me. We have to think and love our neighbor as ourselves. The, the reason that I mow my lawn, now, early in the year, I kind of like it. Like, it, oh, it feels nice to get outside. This is nice. You talk to me in July and I'm mowing the lawn and it's 100 degrees outside. I would tell you, I don't like mowing my lawn. But do you know why I mow my lawn? It's because I love my neighbor, Chuck. I love, I love Chuck. I know he doesn't want to look over at weeds in my lawn. So I mow my yard because I love my neighbor. We have to start thinking of others, yet we're dismissive. We're just like, well, I'll love you if you can do something for me. I won't love you if you do something to me. Love isn't a feeling, and it's not based on what other people can do or have done to you. You are called to love like Christ, who had been wronged more than anybody ever. This is a deep, deep challenge. How do you know how far along you've come in your faith? Well, are you obeying his commands? And then John says, Are you loving your neighbor? Really? Verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So how do you prove that you love God? This is where the rubber begins to meet the road. Here's the proof of our relationship with God. What is my attitude toward my brother or sister in Christ? Because the proof of your love is in loving others. Just think about it right now. What, what do you have going on in your life right now? Who is it that you almost, you just seethe with anger? Who, who do you need to love? Who do you need to forgive? If you are truly going to walk in the light, to walk as Christ, are you willing to love like Jesus? To love regardless? Now, does this mean that if you don't like somebody that you know, you're, you're not going to heaven? I think we all have to kind of agree that there's some people that we get along with better than others, that there are some personalities and some individuals who push all of our buttons, and it gets kind of challenging in those moments. But I don't think, I don't think what John's getting at here is a feeling of love for them. I think it's action. I think he's looking at, are are we looking at that person as an enemy? Are we disrespecting them? Or can we look at them with the the eyes of Christ and treat them well? See, love as a Christian is a conscious choice we make. It's not based on our feelings. That's not love. Uh, Can we begin to look at others with Christ-like compassion. This is, a, this is a transformation. This is sanctification going on inside of our hearts where we begin not to look through the lens of our, our own soul, our own flesh, our own feelings in the moment, but we begin to look with the eyes of God and we begin to realize, okay, I'm called to love them regardless. Will you always feel like loving? No. No. We will not always feel like loving. That's why Christian love isn't based on feeling. It's based on choices and decisions, and the feelings may follow. And maybe there's a husband-wife in here kind of struggling in that area right now, and you just need to be reminded your marriage isn't based on your feelings. That, that, that ebbs and flows. That's all over the place. You're called to love the other person and perhaps feelings may follow. We're called to do the right thing, to remain committed in this covenant that we've made with one another. It's not based on how you're feeling a moment. That's why I think we've got so much divorce going on because we say, well, I've lost that loving feeling. No, you've lost the ability to show love is what you've lost. And love is a test of our Christianity. And Paul or John says, there's a negative test and a positive test. Negative test, he says, if we have this hatred, we're actually walking in the dark in verses 9 and 11. And he says, if that's happening in verse 10, well, then we're just going to go ahead and stumble. I don't know if you've ever been in a room that's been pitch black. Maybe it's a room that you haven't been in before. Or maybe it's a room you have been in before and somebody moves something that they shouldn't have moved. And then you end up you know, stubbing your toe in the dark. And then when that happens, you get angrier, right? I've heard some pretty bad words in the dark, not me or my wife, just uh, others, right? Like how did that happen, right? Now, if we're walking in the dark, it says we stumble. That's what happens to us spiritually. If you have hatred in your heart, if you are angry at somebody else, you're holding something against them, you are going to stumble in your Christian walk you won't progress. You're going to feel this separation. You're going to have true broken fellowship with God until you work on this forgiveness and loving. I've met people. I have met people who can't seem to get their life together. They make bonehead decisions. They they feel guilt and uh, they just continue to sin and they really just, they're miserable. And at the core, many, many times is an unforgiveness. They actually hate Somebody else, and they are unwilling to let go of the hate. And what John is getting at here is this hate that we have—it's not really affecting the other person as much as it's affecting us. They're not in the dark; I'm in the dark. When when I have hatred, I'm I'm in the dark. They don't even know. Some of you have people that you're upset with right now. I mean, you've been mad at them maybe for years. They don't know. They're sleeping fine at night. You're the one with the pit in your gut, and you can't sleep. Why is that? You're stumbling you're in the dark. You have forgotten the love that our Father has lavished on you while you were yet a sinner, and you've put yourself above them in a position of righteousness. And you have not done what Paul would suggest in Philippians 2, 3, that you think of others more highly than yourself. And so if, if this love that we're to have with God and with others draws us closer to God and closer to others, then the hatred that we have in our heart pulls us away from others, and it pulls us away from our heavenly Father. So we're to love regardless. The negative test is we're, we have this darkness. Now, the positive test, it says, is that those who love, they're in the light. And this light is the life of Christ. Jesus is the true light. And if you're walking in the light... You're not going to stumble. You're not going to have opportunity to stumble in the same way as those who are walking in spiritual dark. If you walk in the light and you kind of think about this, you think about what happens with trees and plants, they need the light if they're going to grow. You and I, we need the light of Christ if we're going to grow. It is remaining, abiding in him. He begins to nourish our lives and we start walking in the direction that he has for us. And you can't walk in the light unless you love God and you love others regardless of what they've done to you or even what they could do for you or even based on how you feel. As we saw in verse five, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is being perfected. How's that love perfected? It's perfected. When I move in the direction of my heavenly father and I realize that Jesus Christ has moved in my direction, that he died on a cross, that I confess that sin, I repent of that sin. And when I repent and I begin to move in his direction, I'm going to start walking in the light as he is in the light. Now his spirit comes in, and the spirit of God begins to transform and change my heart from the inside out. He begins to change my life, and Jesus does it by loving me regardless, by loving me while I was yet unlovely. And then once he comes in, now I have the power and the ability to love others that may seem unlovely and hard to love because it is the life of Christ In my spirit, and not just simply Chris, trying really hard. God's love, it transforms us. This is his primary tool to make us holy, to make us like him, to sanctify us. So my challenge to you is quite simple today, love others. Regardless, my challenge to you today would be to forgive somebody else. If you're holding on to something, if you're holding on to bitterness... I would encourage you to move in the direction of your heavenly father who loved you while you were yet a sinner and showed you love regardless. Surely you could do the same for somebody else who's hurt you. Imagine what begins to happen in your life when you allow the light and love of Jesus to transform you. What does that look like? What does it look like the rest of this afternoon and tomorrow? I'm telling you, it is the kind of life that you've been longing for. And it is found when you are bathed in the love of Christ. And you love God. And you love others. Let's pray. Father, and we just seem to enjoy talking about love because we want to receive it. (laughs) We want to be loved real well by you. We want to be loved real well by others around us. At times, Father, it is hard to live this out when we've been wronged, when we have people who are opposed to us. But Father, we thank you for the example of your Son, Jesus Christ, who moved in our direction because of love And while we didn't deserve it, while we had still had our back to you, he hung on the cross and offered us forgiveness. Surely, God, you would be able to pour your love into our hearts if you were going to command to love as Christ has loved us. And so that's what we need. I know that's what I need. I can't manufacture that kind of feeling. But you can help me walk this out. And you can help my friend in this room right now who's finding that challenging as well. Pour your spirit into them. Overwhelm them with your love. and Let your love spill out of their hearts so that people would look at us and they would say, that person loves regardless. They're different. They're unique. And they would know that it is you living your life in us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.